Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and joining me today is one of my literal favorite people of all time, Metro Mom and co-founder of We Are For Good, Becky Endicott, to talk about giving back. Welcome, my friend. Welcome, and what a lovely intro. It is mutually felt. I love you too. <laughs> well, I feel like... I have to give the caveat to our listeners before we get started that Becky and I have known each other since all the way back to high school. And I admired her so much that I followed in her footsteps to Oklahoma State University to the journalism school. Then Becky started her PR career at Science Museum Oklahoma, went back to Oklahoma State University to work for the foundation, then to the Integris Foundation. So she has worked for some incredible organizations in the nonprofit industry. And that career in nonprofit work and her passion for, I love this, transformational philanthropy, inspired her and two friends to launch a brand new company in the middle of a pandemic, no less, that provides strategic planning, branding, and development consulting, and hosts the We Are For Good podcast which shares innovative ideas and lessons learned from leaders in the nonprofit world from across the country. So Becky, let's start there. Hearing about your journey through this is, it's so inspirational to me and I think it also feels kind of like an impossibility for a lot of people. And I know it did for you too before it all came to fruition. We all get so wrapped up in our day-to-day, -day, our work, our to-dos that we don't really stop to think about what are our big dreams? What is our purpose? How do we want to impact the world around us? So what was this process like for you of leaving the quote unquote traditional nonprofit world to create this new company where you are literally fulfilling your dreams and helping others reach theirs too? I'll tell you how it felt. It felt like going to the edge of the Grand Canyon and taking a giant leap. <laughs> I mean, even just as you're saying all that, my imposter syndrome is just raging in the background. And it's like, you know, I just think that the, the beauty of even just my story individually is that, you know, I had this dream of something I wanted to do. And I felt very um, fulfilled from a heart standpoint in the missions I was serving, but I felt very restless and the creative energy and the way that I was able to show up and the way that I wanted to speak my truth and inspire great global movements for good. And so um, I, with my dear friend, John, whom I um, hired to be my intern um, about 17 years ago at the OSU Foundation, he was my graphic design intern. I hired him then. We have not left each other's sides in work yet. He's like my little brother. And we just decided to take this huge leap of faith. And we said, what if we could build a global community that was focused on nothing but doing good? We could empower end users to fundraise well, volunteer well, um, gather in community, uplift story find marginalized people and find ways to not just feel sad in the moment that we're hearing these stories, but find ways to get active. And so we are just really growth mindset individuals and we don't like being tied down to ideas. So we're constantly just watching entrepreneurs and watching social impact investors. And we're saying there is a massive gap in the nonprofit spec sector for really incredible disruptive content. 
training, education, conversations, and, and the way that we're going to show up and value every single individual, their story and their journey. And so we built this little company. Um, we were planning to do it before the pandemic, and then we just went and, again, took that huge leap off of the Grand Canyon's edge um, about August of 2020. We started a podcast, um, and we decided if we're going to be really disruptive, we've got to create really great content. We're going to show up for one year and do nothing but create content and make friends and ask nobody for anything other than your friendship and your ear. And when you sit down and listen to other people's stories for an entire year, people who are not from Oklahoma, people who are not white women like myself who live in suburbia and have lived a very privileged life, your eyes start to open, your heart starts to expand, your lived experience, like it just starts to morph and you start to see things in the world and it's just been selfishly one of the most amazing journeys and we didn't think anybody would get it maybe and a lot of people have gotten it and so we're we're really excited about it yeah thank you for having me and just being able to be open and have this conversation about chasing things that matter and that was a really big story i have two daughters 11 and 7 and i wanted to, them to see that mom can take this great leap of faith that dad was massively supportive and my husband told me to jump and leap and has been so supportive and it's just been a wild um, white knuckle ride for the last like 13 months. I love that you use the word disruptive because it's true of your company. It's true of your life. I mean, that really encapsulates what this whole movement has been. Um, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a disruptor myself. So yeah, you are. totally relate to that. So what's the big vision? What comes next for We Are For Good? How have you already been able to impact the nonprofit industry and what are your hopes for the future? I think on the surface, a lot of people think we're a podcast. So we're just kind of teaching people how to do marketing hacks. Because, I mean, we are marketers disguised as fundraisers. We spent almost 20 years in marketing roles within different fundraising foundations. We've done the marketing. We've done the annual giving. We've done stewardship and donor relations, just about every other component. And we're looking at the way things are done, and we're like, this is so old school. And I know anybody listening right now that has heard the phrase, this is the way it's always been done, it's a very triggering word for us. And it's, to me, ripe for that disruption, that we need to relook at it. And fundraising in itself is just kind of an old patriarchal model. And in the way that we show up and connect, in the ways in the past, the way that we ask for money, the way that we... Um, steward that money. It is just a very kind of old sort of level of thinking. And so we're looking at this brave new world and we're saying our goal is what we call an impact uprising. And it's about democratizing the philanthropic process for as many people as possible. You don't have to be in the nonprofit sector to know how good it feels to help somebody and how you can take your own gifts and pour that into someone. You can find your passion and purpose without starting a company. You could do it one hour a week, you know, for a mission that really means something to you, whether that's, you know, minority women in education or animals or the climate, whatever it is, 
we're trying to find ways for people to get activated, to get inspired, and to kind of link arms. And so we have a podcast. It's kind of, we call it Mom's Kitchen Table. We gather around there. We have really interesting conversations. We push them online. We have a very big social media presence, and we have an online community. And it's just amazing to me that once you start linking arms with people, the ripple effect of that has just been extraordinary. So we built this idea very organically with our friends and family and all of our colleagues across the country had a huge marketing strategy and yeah like 80,000 downloads later in like 13 months we're just asking ourselves we don't know what the heck is going on but we know we're continuing to listen we're continuing to show up and yeah it's just been the joy of my life to to kind of sit in in at, at a stranger's feet and hear their story and feel called to share that with someone and find a way for it to connect and and i understand because i've seen the power of philanthropy how much it does not only for the beneficiary but it does for the for the person who gives and we want to bring that to the family we want it to be a value system we want it to go to your community to your church or your synagogue or wherever it is because everything is better in community so that's what we're building and it's so exciting. It's been so much fun to watch. Um, but in addition to this mission you have of helping nonprofits succeed, of inspiring people to give, you're also doing this as a company. You're giving back as a business. Why was that so important as you built this new company? And what are some of the ways that you guys have been able to give back? You know, when you spend 20 years in nonprofit, you learn some things and you see the top 1% of donors in your organization, they get treated really well. And we were building our company and we thought, how do we completely flip that script and make the 99% feel, or even the 100% feel like the 1%, that everybody that comes over here feels seen and appreciated. And so we felt like we had to do that with how we show up individually, but also how we give. And so we try to incorporate public giving as much as we possibly can because one of the things that we've seen is a I wouldn't say it's a hindrance or a downfall of the nonprofit but our parents generation and our grandparents generation grew up not talking about money it was incredibly taboo and you don't talk about your salary you don't talk you don't ask somebody else you know how much their house is worth and and this is trickled down into the way that we give and so the anonymous giver is, is is it's a wonderful thing in some ways but it doesn't allow community to come into it and so we believe that if we can start talking about where we give why we gave there it might inspire somebody else to want to latch on to that idea so every single time we have a speaker that comes in and teaches something we have an incredible platform that's like a netflix for nonprofits it's called we are for good pro and it's a just teaching all of these disruptive habits about how to fundraise and grow movements. It's like every time they come in and give of their own free time, 30 minutes to us, we're going to make a gift to their favorite nonprofit. We're not just going to talk about why about that nonprofit. We want to give them a chance to talk about why they love that nonprofit in the season of whatever we're going to teach this class on, because we think it's important for people to be humanized and to share their stories and connect it back to their passion and their purpose. Um, and we just never just want to do things just to do them. So like one example of um, one thing that we really loved to do when we were launching our Netflix for Nonprofits uh, platform was 
we created a sizzle video and we it was like our trailer we just it explained what it is and why we were doing it and it was like it's just not enough for us to just throw this out here we've got to tether it to something purposeful so the the week that we were launching our platform the week before the haiti earthquake um had hit and we had just had someone jean-pierre louis who is this amazing haitian-born ceo founder of this nonprofit, he made it his life's mission to go back to his country and provide health care and education and mental health services for his community we had him on two days later this um, earthquake hit and so we tethered every single share every single tag of a nonprofit friend in there we would give up to you know, $1,000 to our friends at CapraCare or Hope for Haiti because we wanted our great announcement to be tethered to philanthropy and we believe that big things can happen. And that is such a little thing that somebody could do. They could literally tag their friend and know that they were giving back on the front lines of disaster relief. And so I just think it's thinking about being very intentional we you know we go do things as a company we love water for we went to the walk for water with our families our kids had you know sold artwork and did lemonade stands to raise money and it just feels better i think when you're in community working through philanthropy and working together to help someone amen to all of that um you were talking earlier about the privilege of getting to tell someone's story which resonates so much with me um and i think we both would admit that we often cry while telling stories listening to stories and, and i don't maybe we'll cry today becky i don't know yet but <laughs> I, I cry almost every day in this business and but a lot of the time it's not just heartbreak it's like i think people are so tired right now we are we are just browbeaten and the stress and anxiety that's looming can, and, and just all the things that come with it. I just think even as a mom, like making a, my kids lunch could send me, could be the one little drop in my bucket that's too much during the day. What is it about like making lunches that like taxes you so completely as a mom? I don't know. But I, I just think about, I'm so sorry. I for, completely forgot what the question is. You're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> it happens we were just talking about this when you friends on the podcast right <laughs> oh my gosh i was up till 4 30 working on a client project and it was just like one of those late nights so i'm sorry i totally spaced but yes give me the question you're <laughs> fine well what i want you to tell us about is a favorite local nonprofit or global or national somebody that you have heard about recently that really resonated with you and maybe that our listeners might not be aware of but you think they should be Okay, I will tell you an incredible story, and you grab your Kleenex as I'm telling this one. Right. There, there is an incredible organization out of Zimbabwe. Um, it's called the International Anti-Poaching Foundation, which is not like the sexiest term ever. But let me just tell you how this story came to be. There's a man, he was a Navy SEAL diver slash sniper um, from Australia, fought in several wars, was working through the effects of the PTSD of being in war and of being a sniper and all the heaviness that comes with that. He is looking for purpose, wanders into Zimbabwe and discovers the plight of these beautiful animals that are just being killed for their tusks and their hides and these sorts of things. And he's watching the, like what's happening to biodiversity and just the whole conservation of Zimbabwe as a result of this. And he liquidates his savings 
he creates this organization, which is very kind of him, and we love that he did, but here's the thing that just knocked my socks off. He, there is a huge um, cadre of women in Zimbabwe who have been promised in marriage, in very abusive situations. There's a rampant AIDS, HIV crisis over there. And you had all of these women who were completely discarded. They either, their husbands left them, they had been, they had uh, run away because they had been beaten. They had children, they had no way to support them. And this CEO, his name's Damian Mander, took them in and he ran them through like the four pillars of Navy SEAL training, like fatigue, exhaustion, extreme cold, like all of the things. And he literally trained them as Navy SEALs, these women to be rangers for these animals. They cover like 5 million acres worth of um, land in Zimbabwe and they protect it. And he has trained them so well that they can incapacitate even a man larger than them who comes in trying to kill these animals and they have brought the poaching down by like 68%. And these women, if you watch a video and I encourage you to go to their website and I'm happy to drop it in here if you wanna put it in your show notes. The um, National Geographic came in with a director, you may know him named James Cameron. And they, t- they told this 16 minute story about these women. And it's, a, it's just a powerful documentary. They're called the Akashinga and what they've been able to do to rise up to form this sisterhood. And he, there is no longer a broken woman standing there. She is so powerful. She owns her own house now. She is one of, they're making great money and becoming entrepreneurs and leaders in their communities. And it's because one man saw potential to completely revolutionize the way that we look at philanthropy and connection. And he looked at these women and said, I know the woman's strongest desire is to protect. And I think we can use that. And women know how to protect their cubs. And these women are so driven to protect this land and these beautiful animals that the conservation has just gone off the charts in Zimbabwe. Extraordinary story, just feel so privileged to sit down and be able to share that with you and your listeners and our listeners that come to our podcast. That is incredible. And um, I have chills and my eyes are wet. So you, <laughs> you succeeded for sure. So great. I know. I mean, there's just so much good in the world if we do look for it. And it's just a blessing to be able to curate that and bring it to people and, and not just feel good, but feel like, oh, I can be a part of that. That's very empowering and liberating. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I just think there are stories like that, that we're just blessed to uncover and have people pour into in a way that works for them. It is a huge privilege. And I know, um, selfishly for me, a lot of times when in this season of life, I'm not feeling very hopeful, um, or, you know, I'm making the lunch and it sends me over the edge, right. Um, getting to, to talk to people in our community about, those stories of hope or the good that they're finding in the world. It's life changing to be able on a personal level and then to have the privilege of being able to share that with other people is just so incredibly meaningful. Well, if you'll let me share another one, I want to share one about a local organization. I, and I hope a lot of your listeners know about K club. Um, the Keaton's kindness club is an incredible organization. It was founded by Luke and Holly Barone, um, they live here in Edmond, and their son Keaton had um, 
a horrible form of leukemia. Um, he passed away a couple years ago, and he was just the most amazing kid. He had treatment for years out of OU Health in their incredible pediatric oncology unit, and he just formed this little club one day with um, this incredible woman who was a mentor to him, and it was he just was like, let's go do kind things for people. Membership was a dollar, and they started this little movement, and they started with you know, buying care packages and, and doing little things. And then, you know, you can see the weight of community coming into this and it starts to grow into golf tournaments and auctions and online events. And pretty soon they're giving large six-figure gifts back to OU Health, back to families. They're taking care of funeral arrangements for families who cannot afford it when their child passes away. And, and I just, and I, and I bring them up because they were just named by Parents Magazine like two weeks ago as the kindest family in America. They were on the Today Show. And I'm just so proud of them because here is a family who has suffered the most, I mean, it makes me so emotional thinking about it, the most unimaginable horror and nightmare of their lives. And they saw this vibrancy in their kid. And they just turned it on fire and allowed people to come in, and it's grown into this massive movement. And I just, my hat's off to people like Luke and Holly, who and their and their boys, and the way they bring in their children into the story, and what they can do to pour light into other people in their darkest hours. And it's been so life giving for them, and it's a way to keep their child alive. And the legacy ripple of that just moves my heart every single time. That was so beautiful. It's been um, really incredible to watch that unfold and, and see what an incredible impact they have had on the community. I'm glad you shared that. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about your girls. So you mentioned you know, such a supportive husband. You have two beautiful daughters who are a lot like you. They are very service oriented. They have a heart and a passion for serving others. So what are some of the ways that you guys give back as a family? I know you have a special holiday tradition every year. We do have a special holiday tradition. It kind of started out as something fun I wanted to do, and now it's turned into this very interesting social experiment I'm, I'm conducting on my children. And I would love to see other people do it too, because I would love to see what the reaction is. But it started out with our eldest. I think she was about four or five. And we decided we were going to give her 10 $1 bills um, for the holidays. And she just loved putting, you know, like every kid, putting change in the Salvation Army bucket every time we would go past the, the bell ringers. And she would ask questions about it. And so we kind of just had this five-year-old type conversation with her about the importance of giving and what it feels like to take something out and pass it to somebody who needs it. And so she would just travel like with, she had a little unicorn purse, like that she would keep her, her little dollars in. And like when she felt inclined, she would, um, I mean, she would put a dollar in somewhere. We would be somewhere and there would be a picture of a puppy next to the, 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 the cash register and she would reach in her pocket and drop, you know, something in for helping save a puppy or something or little coins that go down um, into some little, you know, trinket or, you know, March of Dimes or something. And so she started like being more aware of looking for these things. And so as the years went on, we had a second child. And so I upped their giving. They got, they both got $20 last year. So 
Um, but we did something more interesting now that they've matured because we've had conversations as a family and we had somebody on our podcast who talked about the importance of having a philanthropy and a values-based discussion with your children. And it was really interesting and empowering to sit down as a family. We were just having dinner. And I said, what are, what are you passionate about? What are the things that really matter to you? And even my seven-year-old would say she's very passionate about animals and helping the environment. You know, my eldest is very passionate about making sure people have clean water and that nobody's homeless. And my husband's an attorney and he feels very passionate about legal aid and making sure that very poor people have access to really great attorneys to defend them. And so you're kind of seeing this, like it's a very beautiful mosaic. And we started to talk about how do we integrate our giving so that it touches every single one of those things so that we're truly giving as a family. And so back to this little challenge at the holidays last year, we sat down and rather than just putting the $1 in the bucket, the girls kind of decided where they were going to put it ahead of time. And then they wrote letters, which was so fascinating. You know, um, I know Julia, she gave $3 to Integris's pediatric child life department because she wanted them to buy some dog man books for kids that were in the hospital. And she wrote that in her letter. And I mean, it was, she didn't really know how to spell very well, but it was sweet, and I and and I and I wanted them to understand the power of this is your money, and you can restrict where you want it to go, and you 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 identify the impact that you want to have, and so it was just a great experiment. Sophia gave to the Humane Society, and their stewardship person was so amazing. Sent them a letter back, sent them some swag back. So all of a sudden, they're getting conditioned that this is the way that it should be, and they're looking for their thank you notes in the mail, and they're hearing from these people about the impact of their gifts and what does it do? It makes them want to do more. And so I just think that nonprofits do such a great job of stewarding and making sure that gifts are seen. And if you can infuse that into the way that you're having those conversations very intentionally with your children, it normalizes this for them. My, my girls think it's very normal at the holidays to think about who we need to be giving to and we need to be listening for gaps and needs that exist. But it's not even just the holidays. How do we integrate that beyond the holidays? Because people are suffering and in need all the time. So um, it's just been a very interesting social experiment <laughs> to see how their little needs are starting to morph and how they're feeling more ownership in them. I mean, my eldest tells people all the time it takes $27 to give someone clean water for life in Africa because she was taught that through her stewardship of giving at Water 4. And so I, I just think that if you can find a way and you want to put some intentionality behind involving your kids in this, it can have a lasting effect to not only their value system, but the way they see the world. It um, awakens their empathy their compassion for others, which I think is so important. It allows them to see a world that's bigger than them, which is very difficult, I think, when you live in the suburbs. <laughs> and so I want to normalize that for the girls. I haven't figured out the secret sauce, but it's been a heck of a ride watching it thus far. So I'll keep you posted. You've done an incredible job with them. And um, we have done something a little bit similar. Um, and you're right, it has been so interesting to watch my kids 
along the way. I will totally admit, and I think I've told this story on a podcast before, that the first year we gave them each an envelope of cash and they were so excited to have this money until we said, oh, you don't get to keep it. You have to pick a place to give it. And they were like, they got over it pretty quickly when they realized that power, like you said, of getting to choose who they wanted to affect with it. And so now they're like waiting at the holiday season every year, knowing that they're going to get this envelope. And last year they had already, before like we even gave them the envelope, they each knew exactly where they wanted it to go because they had been spending some time thinking about it. And while it was not quite as magical last year because we didn't get to go in person like we usually do. Usually we drive all around and they get to walk in with their little envelope and hand it to the person. Um, and you're right. It's the way people in nonprofit organizations around this city have reacted to my kids and have treated them just like any other donor and walked them around to show them around the organization exactly what their money was going to fund. Um, it is inc it's incredible to watch that. And it's also so interesting to me how their different personalities play into what causes or issues are most important to them. Um, they are very different. <laughs> right? You raise them exactly the same, but they're their own little humans. And I just, bravo to you for doing that. And I just think anybody can do anything. And it doesn't even have to be around the holidays. I mean, we've done, we've done um, Advent boxes or 12 days of Christmas boxes where you put the stuff in, you know, on the first day of Christmas, we put in, you know, one box of macaroni and cheese. And the second day we put in, you know, two oatmeal packets, et cetera, and so forth. And then we go drop that off. I think we could sidewalk chalk at a healthcare organization right now and just draw some pictures and encourage our healthcare givers. I think I, there's just so many little ways that you could, you could pour into your community and doing it with your kids is the thing that makes them remember it. Absolutely. I have memories um, of being tiny and helping with my parents' Sunday school class to, you know, make Thanksgiving meals to take and deliver. Um, and so it's, um, it's exciting to me to think that hopefully my kids will have those same memories as adults. And like you said, it just normalizes it for them that they are looking around and they're already so much better at it than I was and then I that I still am sometimes you know they're the ones that are like mom did you know about such and such and can we use part of our money this month to give to this organization and I, I mean they sometimes it's despite my parenting right <laughs> that they are awesome <laughs> yes they just are who they're going to be, but um, just with that little bit of encouragement, um, and it's nothing big, it's nothing special that we've done. It's just trying to find out what moves their hearts and, and figure out what we can do to just encourage that. And I would just say on the back end, last thing that, you, that, that would be really interesting for you to do is once it's done, ask them, how did that feel? Circle back and say, what about that brought you joy? What did you notice about that person? I mean, the things my kids notice are things I don't even see. And I just think that, especially, you know, Gen Z right now that's, you know, in their late teens and into their 20s, and even like Generation Alpha, our kids that are coming up, they are so hardwired to want to serve, to look for purpose. 
So if you, if you start this early, I mean, I, this is the impact uprising, I think, that can happen. It just in, in people intentionally moving toward social good and infusing service into your community. And this is how things start to heal, in my opinion. And so I have a lot of hope for this generation. I think Gen Z gets a really bad rap and millennials, but I think they're awesome. And I love their heart and their hustle. And I just think the future, if we can teach these things, is just going to be unlimited for what they can do to help change the world. Agreed. And thank you for all you are doing in your household and in the community and around the world to, to encourage that. So I want to talk about two parenting issues. We talked about these a little bit earlier on. Um, but we've been doing some research and asking some questions of our readers and listeners about what are the parenting issues that you're struggling with the most right now. And the two that consistently come to the top are parent guilt and imposter syndrome. <laughs> and especially like we're parenting in a pandemic, the holidays are coming up. I think that just exacerbates these issues for a lot of us. And there are topics I know I, I deal with these just about every day in my life. I've heard you speak to them too. And um, as fellow empaths, <laughs> uh, we, we kind of lean that way, sometimes unintentionally. So let's talk mom guilt. How do you deal with it? What advice do you have for our listeners? Oh man, if, if I'm gonna be really real and very authentic, I would say I don't deal with it very well. Um, yeah, you mentioned I'm an empath. So I, for those that love the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram too. And so that's the helper. And I just like want to serve. And I have come to learn in therapy that there's a point where helpers are pouring into other people that they don't pour into themselves. And so I just think my mom guilt comes from working and trying to build community, trying to help, you know, whether it's at my church or my community, trying to be involved in my children's lives and their school and their activities. And it's just a lot. It is a lot to manage. You throw a pandemic on there, it's like kerosene on a fire that was already burning out of control. And, you know, I just have to give myself some grace. And I have, uh, my eldest is an incredibly frank, <laughs> candid individual. And I love that, that she's such a straight shooter. And I will often say to her, you know, how are you doing? How, how, do you feel like you're getting enough time with me? And, you know, cause I'm working 90 hours a week. I've, I've got a startup and I'm still trying to be mom. So there is no way I can get rid of that guilt, but she's so encouraging. And she says things like you're doing the best you can do, or, you know, she's also an impasse. So that helps. And then the other one's just off in la la land, you know, which is great. But I, I just, you know, I, I took Saturday mornings for myself. And that's one thing that I did is when I felt more centered, as a mom, when I found ways to get peace, to find silence and stillness, even if it was 20 minutes a day, I ended up being a more in tune mom. I ended up finding that I could have more energy uh, to tune in and um, to lean into playing a game of Uno or helping with piano lessons or whatever it is. And if I, lit it, I know it sounds kind of anti-intuitive, but it's like once I made some time for me, it made making time for others a lot easier. So that's one thing that's helped with my mom guilt. And that self-care is hard. And it's especially oh. hard for people who are so focused on serving others. So that's not easy to do because your inclination is I want to give to everybody else and I want to serve everybody else. And if I take time for me, like you said, then I'm not 
I'm not giving to others. So kudos to you for recognizing that and carving that out for yourself. Well, thank you. I'm still working through it, but you know, my family knows that Saturday mornings until 11 are mine. I'm going to go run around Lake Hefner with my dad. I'm going to have some quiet time with my book and my coffee on the back porch. And that is my time to kind of decompress. And then after that, I'm good to go the rest of the weekend. It's really amazing how much it kind of recharges me. I love that. That's such great advice. So you already said that you deal with imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, how, how does that affect you? And have you found any brilliant ways to move past it? You know, I think uh, COVID has really helped me work through my imposter syndrome because it's made the world so much smaller than I thought it was. You know, we had major imposter syndrome with coming out with a global idea with two little people from Oklahoma. And, you know, we had a microphone like anybody else could go buy one. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that we knew entirely what we were doing, but we kind of just got out there, sp felt confident about who we were and what we were trying to do. And you can literally slide into someone's DMs on social media, like a LinkedIn, somebody you could have never dreamed that you could have talked to. I mean, we, we have an ungettable get list that we post very publicly for our podcast. And it's got everybody from Oprah to Melinda Gates, but it also has very, very normal, I call it normal people, like doing incredible things on there. And so we posted our dreams publicly and you know, which gave me some imposter syndrome, but we also put context about in a very cheeky way about why we wanted to talk to them and why we thought they were so amazing and worthy of being just an amazingly good human. And people resonated with it. And I, we found out that if you go back to the principles of kindergarten, especially in this day and age of division, of anger, and and people where it just feels like everywhere you go, somebody's on a, on a different side and they're and they're angry about it. You can find a way to connect with somebody on a kindergarten level, treat them humanly, be kind. I've been amazed at the response. I mean, we, we have talked to so many people on our ungettable get list that I could have never dreamed would ever even want to talk to us because somebody knew us and felt like we were authentic, kind humans and made an intro for us. Or their press person did some background and saw who we were. And every time someone responds, I feel my imposter syndrome getting tamped down. And then there are things that pop up that, you know, I, we're doing a keynote for a couple thousand people next week, and I'm trying not to freak out about that. Um, and so my imposter syndrome is ranging. But, but I, I just keep focusing back on our values. We have eight core values for our company, starting with everyone matters is number one. And if I just go back to that place, it kind of quiets that negative self-narrative that I have going on inside my mind. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm still dealing with it. I haven't worked through it, but I will say I have a therapist. I'm a huge fan of therapy and of mental health support. And she helps me kind of see some of these blinders. And I know I have blinders, even as an Enneagram too. I know that my self-care is terrible. <laughs> I know that I'm, I don't quit. I go too far until I burn myself out. And so I think therapy helps identify some of these things and challenges it and allows me to do some self-reflection and work through it at, at a pace that works for me. And um, yeah, and so I feel more clear-headed, if that makes more sense. And when I'm more clear-headed, when I'm rested, 
and I'm drinking a bunch of water, <laughs> I feel like I have more control over who I am and confidence and what we're doing. And I just feel like it's too important to let it fail. I've got to be quiet. I've got to quiet that imposter because what we're doing is too important. Um, it has to succeed. And what a good message for parents everywhere. What we're all doing is too important. And, and we've got to take that time for ourselves. We've got to figure out how to um, rein in that negativity that we all tend to get swept up in sometimes because raising these, these little humans to be also great humans is the most important work of our lives. getting your pulpit and just keep going. <laughs> so Becky, one of the things that I've always loved most about you is um, just your positivity and, and your ability to, to see the good, which is, you know, ironic that you've created a company called We Are For Good. <laughs> so as we're kind of thinking about this very extended pandemic season that we've all been parenting and chaos and the challenges that we're all dealing with. Let's end on a really positive note today. Where are you finding hope in your life right now? I will, I will say this is, this is my own social experiment on myself, that I am a huge proponent of cognitive diversity. And, and what I mean by that is that I can't know what it feels like to be Aaron or to be somebody else. I can only learn if I sit down and ask and, and then commit to listening. And I find so much hope in listening to other people talk about their struggle, talk about um, their um, moment of uplift and their moment of success, how to replicate it for other people, even in pain. There's something to be learned so we can overcome that the next time or for the next person. And so every time I meet an extraordinary human and I hear their story, I kind of just take it in like to my soul in some way. And I feel like it gives me clearer eyes, uh, a larger heart. Um, it opens my hands more. And when I do that, I, I feel so much hope. And I, I will tell you, I was running with my dad on Saturday around Lake Hefner and he was just, he was just struggling. He was having a hard week and just struggling with everything with the weight of the world and he was feeling down and I, and he was just saying, I just don't know. And my, the boomers just don't know generation if we're ever going to come out of this and be good human beings at the end. And I said, dad, I'm looking at it every day. When I turn on that microphone, it is there. We just have to stop being angry and we have to start listening. And when we're ready to listen, we have to open our hand and say, okay, I'm ready for you to come into my world. Now listen to my story. And then there's shared connection there. And things don't seem so hard. The, the, the empathy that's fostered in that moment is so incredible. And I'm saying that I take that and I infuse it into the company, into my church, into this family. And that is honestly the thing that's giving me hope. This and me and my girlfriend sending really inappropriate memes back and forth to each other on text, laughing about this situation because we all need levity at this point. Yes. Okay. So laughter, laughter is so important and listening. I love that, Becky. You're so right that, um, 
if we could all do a little bit more listening and I'm challenging myself to do that too, um, the world would be a better place. Thank you so much for your time and for all your wisdom shared. I am feeling much more hopeful. So thank you, Becky. Oh, you're welcome. I will, I will give your Instagram a little plug because it brings me such joy. Whoever handles your Instagram, I would encourage anyone listening. If you're not following Metro family on Instagram, it's hilarious. And everyone, and, and, and you balance it so well, your storytelling with levity, with helpful tips. Um, I just, I, I think that also gives me hope when I see stuff like that. So keep doing what you're doing. Just really value your community as well. Thanks so much, Becky. For our listeners, you can learn more about We Are For Good and listen into their podcast at weareforgood.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.